Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hello, Arden family. It's Christopher Dole. I know it's been a while since you've heard from us, and I just first want to say that we are working hard on season three scripts right now, and we'll be having some announcements soon, and we can't wait to share them with you. In the meantime, I wanted to introduce you to the new show I've been working on alongside Arden. This is My Big Score, a show where I interview some of your favorite creators about the film scores that matters to them. It's been such a pleasure to work on, and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to My Big Score. Today's episode of My Big Score was brought to you by Shaker and Spoon, the subscription cocktail ingredients box, and by Tab for a Cause. Use your tabs to generate charitable donations absolutely free. How do you end a story? How do you bring things to a satisfying conclusion, tying up all the characters, plots, and themes you have been setting up throughout your tale? And what if your story is the final part of a trilogy that has taken the world by storm, achieving unrivaled critical and popular success, a phenomenon unlike anything before or since? This was the question facing Peter Jackson in 2003 as he put the finishing touches on The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. And it was also the question facing composer Howard Shore, whose scores for the first two films were not merely iconic, they were fundamental to the success of the trilogy. How could he top what he had already achieved while wrapping up 10 hours worth of intricate, thematically driven musical storytelling. Impossibly, he succeeded. How did he do it? Well, that's what our guest Sarah Shackett and I are here to discuss. From the heights of Minas Tirith to the terror of Shelob's Lair, to the slopes of Mount Doom, and finally the waters of the Grey Havens, join us as we voyage to Middle-earth. Welcome to my big score. My guest today is the true shield maiden of podcasting. Oh Jesus. <laughs> oh no. This is this has already started very very maximalist. I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joined today by the wonderful Sarah Shackett, uh podcast writer and creator uh most recently of unseen also uh briefly a member of team arden for our halloween special 
uh, Sarah, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Chris. I'm delighted to be here. And what score have you chosen for us today? So I, I, when you when you asked me this question and so posed like, what score would would you like to bring? I hedged a little bit. I like offered a couple other suggestions of like, mm-hmm. you know, I do love the Battlestar Galactic score by Barry McCurry. If we were willing to do, do television, I like this score. I like that score. But really, it's because the score that I have brought is so big. Mm-hmm. It's it's so cool, um, and is mm-hmm. like so foundational to how I think about um, mm-hmm. music in entertainment that I was a little bit scared. I was hoping that you would pick something else for us to talk about. <laughs> but no. No, I have brought Howard Shore's uh, Lord of the Rings score for The Return of the King. Uh, it was mm-hmm. it was really like trying to choose a favorite child to pick which mm-hmm. of the trilogy. Because you can, you can the, he, he writes holistically and you can listen to the score mm-hmm. as a holistic experience. But Return of the King is where it gets bonkers so that's why i brought that one hell yeah (laughs) so i'm gonna start this discussion with a definition Um, Mm -hmm. and we'll see how useful this is but i think this is important for the context of what we're going to discuss and why this particular film and this particular score remains so monumental, which is a thing I was really thinking about when re-watching it for this podcast. Because the first time, I would say, in a while that I'd really sat down and mm-hmm. sort of watched it as a movie in a couple of years. I would like to talk about what I would call symphonic filmmaking. Okay, okay. I'm with you so far. So we're going to start off by talking about where the term symphony even comes from. It was used in uh, Greek and medieval mm-hmm. music theory for consonants, which it's harmony. It's the sense of many voices sort of coming together yes yes precisely and it was sort of really uh as sort of music developed it got taken over into sort of how we're more familiar with it which is the uh, an orchestral work of large scale usually four movements again many instrument voices coming together it's uh romantic notion the capital letter romantic yeah. notion of the symphony as in the movement yes as really like the beethoven symphony so when i say symphonic filmmaking what i mean is grand scale filmmaking where every aspect of it is just perfectly in concert with each other coming together for this grander emotional experience that mm-hmm. this immensity of scope and vision on display is what I mean by this. It is this incredible harmony 
and we're going to get to some very specific examples of this, of how sound and score blend or how editing and score work together and all of these aspects feeding off each other to create this grander sense of, of film, of storytelling. And that is, I think, why this film and this trilogy remain so unparalleled in, frankly, we've had about almost 20 years of... Yeah, we're 20 years away from Fellowship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in the past 20 years, you've seen, quite frankly, a lot of major franchises chasing this movie very specifically starting in 2011 with like a certain wizard boy and second part of this film uh the dark knight rises all of the star wars sequel trilogy the last hunger games film no time to die avengers endgame spider-man no way home are all in a sense chasing the the prestige of this film the sort of we have to recognize this achievement. This is so massive. This is this so is the reason why shaped. normal people know the word leitmotif. Yes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but all of those films are sort of chasing the feeling that this film creates. Mm -hmm. That there is a wonderful phrase that I haven't been able to place from a review of the time that described. Jackson as akin to like the great silent film directors of, like Fritz Lang or DeMille where he paints to the corners of the screen mm -hmm. that the scope of what's going on feels bigger than what we're seeing and that's the emotion as well and that is what Howard Shore brings to this movie he is the emotional heart he is the grounding he is for all intents and purposes the narrator his yes. score stands 100% for Tolkien's narration. I could not agree with you more, Chris. And I, th I, I love that definition because I think mm -hmm. that both in terms of people chasing the feeling mm -hmm. of the score and what it actually is, you know, there is, I think, in, in the, the old saw that Jaws isn't about the shark. And if you sort of watch that movie and you take from it, like, oh, I should have a big scary shark um, and that'll make a fantastic blockbuster, like, no, that, that, that is a, a characteristic of the film, but it isn't what it's about. I think, you know, we've seen a lot of scores try and, like, have these thematic statements that develop mm -hmm. and, and, and follow character. But that's the wrong lesson to take from what Shore is doing, because it's such a collaboration mm -hmm. between him and the, the, the picture, um, the, mm -hmm. what we see from Jackson. And you cannot just layer score underneath or on top of it. They are working mm -hmm. completely together to tell the story. Um, it's mm -hmm. it's not it's it's I, I I've just still you know I was thinking about this as we were leading up to the recording, and it's just like mm -hmm. what Jackson and Shore achieve is in that capital R romantic way like them trying to approximate the sublime um mm -hmm. that sense of awe or awesomeness at the vast scope and also scope means 
both showing the vast vistas and giant armies and stuff, but also being able to go down to eye level to, you know, Pippin and, and Sam and Mary and Frodo. Um, you know, it, it is the balance between the two. Uh, <laughs> I'll never forget. This was actually... Um, I was in a class where a professor was breaking down like the ecstasy of gold scene um, from Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Um, and it is the interplay between those vast shots and then the extreme close-ups um, mm -hmm. that really give you the whole sense of the scene and that sense of scope. And that is what's happening in Return of the King. And it's what's mm -hmm. happening with Shore's instrumentation as well of all of the themes that he's developed over the course of now three movies. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of your definition of scope and the importance of, of faces in this movie, mm -hmm. like, like the Mount Doom sequence is just it's all just faces and flashing lights and incredible red color and it's almost ex it's almost expressionistic yeah at, it's just so shockingly intimate and it's so like this is just raw emotion this isn't tied to any sort of gritty realism or in the negative sense of those words this is just pure sublime filmmaking here. exactly because it's not it's it's mm -hmm. it's it's my favorite kind of filmmaking in that you're mm -hmm. right it is almost expressionistic but it's not mm -hmm. it's not going for the aesthetic it's guided yeah. by the emotion um and mm -hmm. everything you see is relatable you understand where you are in space cough mm -hmm. all action movies of the last 20 years cough <laughs> um <laughs> mm -hmm. uh and and you're guided through by mm -hmm. your grounding in the characters and so the fact mm -hmm. that the rest of the world falls away and you're just mm -hmm. left with Frodo Sam and Gollum like that's how big this is is that you know mm -hmm. it, it doesn't serve us to see a giant volcano no one can see how mm -hmm. I'm gesturing emphatically on this podcast um, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it it shows exactly what we need to and the fact that we mm -hmm. Jackson understands the way silent filmmakers did that what we can see is just as important as what we can't see and activating the mm -hmm. frame you know our sense of things beyond the frame yeah and the person who most often is his his real partner in filling that space is sure mm -hmm. um and I think this is an important I think activator score for a lot of people in our generation because he's so precise in what he's doing down to like it's not just melodies for specific light motifs it's yeah. like instruments it's the hardanger fiddle for rohan it's the penny whistle for the shire the anvils for isengard mm -hmm. it's like this is it's not just a melody it's a specific timber that is being activated and teaching you how to listen to music in a way. Yeah. And then, con mm -hmm. like, it's so, there's a phenomenal, I'm going to wreck, um, YouTube mm -hmm. uh, video essay by Nerdwriter, um, mm -hmm. who, who uh, talks about how Shore develops the fellowship theme over the course of just that one movie. Um, mm -hmm. And 
based on how many instruments are saying the theme, whether the theme is allowed to unfold in its full statement or whether it's cut off, like that mm -hmm. all aligns with where you are in the story. Um, and mm -hmm. what is so great, that's, that's what's so great about the series as a whole and Return of the King is the moment where Shore can go hard in like both directions of having the full statements of the mm -hmm. themes and in their all of their orchestral glory like the biggest version mm -hmm. of them and also like the darkest sharpest most challenging most you know interrupted mm -hmm. version of of them because this is this is the moment um where everything goes wrong and then right you know mm -hmm. yeah the the catastrophe and then the you catastrophe as hey. Tolkien termed it. Yep, <laughs> and, and like that's good that you bring that video up because I think that keys us into something that I had not realized until mm -hmm. doing the research for this, and that is one of the key foundations of this specific score within the trilogy which is the Gondor theme, which mm -hmm. um, you think sort of, if you have sort of like, a, I guess, a, well, I don't want to say a layman's knowledge of the score because like that could mean a lot of things. But for years I had thought the full Gondor theme was Yeah. Those are two different themes. Like this. Is Gondor ascending, which is this is the sort of height and glory of Gondor. This is what Gondor can be. And this. is Gondor descending. And more closely aligned with the Baromir theme, BT Dubs. Oh yeah, I mean, he's the one who introduces us to this, to that particular phrase in yeah. Fellowship. But it's sort of the current Gondor, the Gondor in decline. And that leads us into one of the most interesting or at least something that I found very interesting um, mm -hmm. in terms of when I was doing my research. Uh, so there was only one real trailer, real theatrical trailer released for Return of the King after an extensive series of trailers for Fellowship because they knew they had they to had sell to this new concept. Yeah. yeah, and then... Um, I still remember Three. the two hours one because it's they're using mm -hmm. the requiem for a theme or, or requiem yes. for a dream theme. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And they have a pretty memorable series of, of trailers for two towers, including a, a four minute one that they attached to the end credits of fellowship, like a couple months after that film yeah. had come out uh, for this. It was just one trailer because which feels like such an incredible um 
I mean, like power move. It does, but you think about where we were at yes. that point in in mm-hmm. time, and this is you know pre MCU, right? So like, yeah. I think the fact mm-hmm. that like this was mm-hmm. the breakthrough franchise mm-hmm. in the way that we now understand them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they had incredible cultural power mm-hmm. for being the first. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It was just sort of like, we don't need to do anything else. We, we know how huge this is going to be. And in that trailer, sure, uh, after sort of previously using like other music, using the Requiem for a Dream, Shore comes in and is like, for the final minute, we are going to debut the Gondor Ascending theme. Mm-hmm. We are going to, that hasn't appeared in the films yet. I am going to introduce it here to tell you this is the musical heart of what's about to come. <laughs> and it, it made it feel like such an announcement <laughs> in a way, <laughs> you know, that it's like, it was just like, get ready, not just for the film, but for what Shore is about to do. Yeah. It's interesting. I was thinking about it because, mm-hmm. you know, there there are sort of moments mm-hmm. in movie scores or or tv scores Mm -hmm. where the composer finds another gear and it's really exciting like i think about Mm -hmm. um game of thrones light of the seven where suddenly Mm -hmm. the piano's there where it's never been before um and that instrument instrumental Mm -hmm. change is what makes that sequence like what completely elevates Mm -hmm. that sequence um Mm -hmm. sure fuck him by the way um does does not need to like introduce synths or or something that he hasn't used he just finds Mm -hmm. another gear from the organic material Mm -hmm. he's already developed um and this is you know part of i I love that you bring that Mm -hmm. up chris because this is part of him working hand in hand with jackson is like Mm -hmm. the 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 gondor theme is the heart of the movie because the movie's called return of the king and you need Mm -hmm. (laughs) you need that context and that emotional Mm -hmm. connection to gondor and its fate for the movie to work Mm -hmm. at all and that that connection is really coming from the score because no one except for faramir is from mm-hmm. Gondor of the main, like, who is sympathetic of the mm-hmm. main cast. Dedithor is there. Love you, yes. Noble. But, like, yeah. <laughs> but don't love you here. You love tomatoes mm. too much. Um, <laughs> but, but that emotional connection to, as, as you mm-hmm. put it so beautifully, Chris, what Gondor could be and the crisis of the collapse, mm-hmm. which is such a Tolkien thing like that's it's Mm -hmm. i'm curious how the 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 rings of power tv show is going to deal with this because tolkien Mm -hmm. is is writing with a deep sense of loss of Mm -hmm. civilizational Mm -hmm. loss um and it's so key that gondor is on the precipice of that um Mm -hmm. in the books and in in the films as well and that's you know i think like the Rohan theme is probably more mm-hmm. memorable and emotive um, and needed to be the heart of that second movie because that's where we were. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie, it's, it's, that, it's that tension mm-hmm. between 
ascending and descending and the like deep sadness mm -hmm. that's there even as gondor is potentially going to survive this right um mm -hmm. like all of the stakes are wrapped up in how the music works it's insane it's insane mm -hmm. yeah which i think that's why jackson designs that first arrival into minas tirith to be a musical showcase sequence like we're not meeting characters oh no we're just going up and up and getting that incredible like Which is right where the white tree comes in, by the way. Yeah. That chord. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's wild yeah. that I can I can I, I, mm. I, I can do this for other movies too, but I can do mm -hmm. it so thoroughly for the all three Lord of the Rings movies, is that if I'm just mm -hmm. listening to the score, I will see specific shots and like know the shot mm -hmm. sequence just from how the music is unfolding, because that's how strong it is. Oh yeah. Which like I mean, when they come over the hill and you get mm -hmm. that just incredible, just inversion of the Gondor theme, that is. Mm -hmm. That is just like, it feels like such a declaration of intent. Yeah. And it's like, this, this is what we have been building to. This a is giant what model. matters. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yes, a giant model. It's so cool. It's a cool giant model. I really like oh, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I spent a lot of my childhood watching the DVD extras. It's fine. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, and it's like, it's just so imposing as mm -hmm. a theme and yeah. it's just like just the force of it is <laughs> astonishing <laughs> well yeah and it's it's a very it forceful is a good word right because i think a lot of when i think about you know the shire theme or the fellowship theme or you know the lothlorian theme which i think are, mm -hmm. are some of the big key strong ones that are developed throughout um mm -hmm. the trilogy they're they're not they're emotive but not necessarily imposing like the fellowship theme mm -hmm. is is a strong pushing driving theme um it has momentum mm -hmm. to it um but that's this is like that's sort of like um mm -hmm. you know unstoppable force and this is like immovable object you know mm -hmm. yeah it's like this this is where they're making their stand, like because it musically. Is. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, everything is tied together. I I don't I I don't mm -hmm. have a, a firm grasp of of music theory. I played like mm -hmm. clarinet for a half a second in in school, um, so I mm -hmm. I I have a like a very layman's understanding of how the music actually mm -hmm. works, um, but. I know how it works because it's how the story works. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, and it's hard yeah. to say that about, because I think, you know, I, I, I sort of break scores up. Sometimes they are supporting the action. 
Um, mm-hmm. And you know, they, it's it's doing it's doing the thing we understand scores do. Like the music swells when there's a particularly mm-hmm. strong emotional moment, or it gets particularly scary, or you know, there's mm-hmm. there's a moment of of climax, and so the music gets loud in however way it's mm-hmm. do, in, in whatever way it's doing that, right? And then you have mm-hmm. scores that are a little bit more character focused that are sort mm-hmm. of reminding you, okay, when this theme comes in, you need to care about this person um, or this person's undergoing something that's particularly interesting. But the Lord of the Rings score is not unique, but I I can't think of a a score that as thoroughly um, embodies not character, not emotion, but story. It's telling Mm -hmm. the story. Um, And you can, you know, I'm so mad. I could I didn't live in a place that had these when the, they had those um Howard Shore concerts where they would do like an entire yes. um do symp- the symphony yeah they yeah. do the Lord of the Rings symphony um I have a bootleg version that's in uh, that's in my iTunes um but I never got to go to one of those um or you know they they often did the the live symphony along with the film but you could just listen to the symphony and you mm-hmm. you, you know you get it You get the story. It's wild. Picture this. It's date night, and you really want to impress the person you're seeing. It's been a while. This is a big night. Or you've been invited to a really fancy party full of people you want to impress. You want to bring something special. Well, fortunately for you, you've already signed up for Shaker and Spoon a subscription cocktail service that helps you learn how to make handcrafted cocktails right at home. Each box comes with enough ingredients to make three different cocktail recipes developed by world-class mixologists. All you need to do is buy one bottle of that month's spirit, and you have all you need to make 12 drinks right at home. At just $40 to $50 per month, plus the cost of the bottle, this is a super cost-effective way to enjoy craft cocktails. And you can skip or cancel boxes anytime. Invite some friends over, class up your nightcaps, or learn from my example on how to be a great house guest. Because one year at this fancy Christmas party I went to, I brought my shaker and spoon box for Canadian rye whiskey to make some incredible dessert cocktails that blew everyone away. Get $20 off your first box at shakerandspoon.com slash mybigscore. That's shakerandspoon.com slash mybigscore. I want to dial it back to the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And uh, some moments where score was written but removed. Specifically, when I say the beginning of the movie, I mean the very beginning Mm -hmm. (laughs) of the movie uh, where you get that. I mean, you start off with this incredible lyrical passage, even over the the logos that it has sort of the some of the rhythms and cadences of like the Shire music, um, but, but it just feels off. so mm-hmm. yeah off, yeah, and it feels ancient, <laughs> and it's really setting the tone incredibly well. And then we get uh, this fade in on little Wriggling Worm, the hands of Andy Serkis, 
Bless getting him. to appear, yeah, getting to appear on camera finally for this one little bit. I know. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Deagle finds the ring underwater, and there's a whole chunk of music that was removed. That was very. It was dark. It was violent, and rightly. I think they realized it wasn't necessary because the the sound design that they have for the ring of this very yep. sort of atonal humming, that's the music. Like mm-hmm. the ring takes over as the narrator. The yeah, ring I mean, you do takes have, over as the score. Yeah. You do have that heartbeat that comes that that mm-hmm. sort of um is is Deagle's mm-hmm. and is is not diegetically mm-hmm. motivated because there's no way anyone would hear that right mm-hmm. but but it is mm-hmm. um but that's but, the percussion yeah yeah but it mm-hmm. but but you're right that is mm-hmm. um like uh <laughs> <laughs> like ring vision you know they, they mm-hmm. do a good job of when someone puts on the ring everything gets a little wispy and you know suddenly you're mm-hmm. you're um uh transported into a different state space they don't do that visually but they do that sonically mm-hmm. it's you 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 hear mm-hmm. the call of the ring you know Hmm. yeah yes and it's like shore's music because it serves such a strong purpose as the narrator because mm-hmm. as you say it is such doing such an incredible job of telling the story these moments where it drops out become all the more unsettling, especially when oh, yeah. the ring noise takes over because it's like, we're suddenly being left adrift <laughs> in a way we're, we're unsafe as an audience. <laughs> no, that's a really good observation, Chris. And there's it's, it, they're very strategic about mm-hmm. where and when, and the fact that, you know, it is, um, you know, almost a prologue in the way that, fellowship has also has a prologue um and that there's it doesn't feel safe but there is like a margin because we're not in the main action yet and so they can they can experiment a little bit and go us off and moments where it happens again like when um frodo tells sam to go that's really unsafe uh one because we've been taught to understand how this works um mm-hmm. and can you know anticipate and be worried for Frodo um, in in a more heightened way um, and also because now mm-hmm. it's happening within the action of the story yeah which then reaches its its culmination on Mount Doom mm-hmm. with um, you get that incredible sort of return of the ring noise before Frodo turns around and claims the ring for himself like <laughs> And, and this it is just goes a... so silent except for that noise. Yep. And but then you get the opera, <laughs> because, which is another yes, reason I love... Yes, then the opera breaks out. Right. Which is yeah. another reason I love this, uh, mm-hmm. this part of Howard Shore's giant opus is that mm-hmm. just, we go full Wagner. Mm-hmm. Let's, let, I mean, just oh, yeah. all, all, all holds, no holds barred, all holds mm-hmm. loose. Um, and... yeah. It's it's just it's it's a weirdly risky thing to do um, in a score 
uh, yeah, you know, we're used to like sort of moments of coral, but like mm-hmm. sort of restrained coral stuff in the background. Like at most, mm-hmm. it's a duel of the fates kind of a thing, um, where you know that that piece is, you know, the engine of it is uh, the coral refrains, but the star of it is still William's melody. This is just full opera. It's wild. Yeah. I mean, it's not just the star of the melody. It is the sound effect that's going yeah-huh. on right yeah-huh. then. It just is everything. And, and just when you're talking about Wagner, just the scale of this ensemble, like there's an 85-member mixed male and female choir. There's a boy choir that's over 50 people. Like the total ensemble that put this score together is 400 musicians and choir members like that's i would not i would not be a lord of the rings movie nerd if i did not also mention that peter jackson got mm-hmm. an entire stadium of rugby fans to record some of the grand mm-hmm. noises that are happening oh in yeah <laughs> that also like mm-hmm. they don't show up on the soundtrack but like mm-hmm. score must sure must have gotten them because oh yeah it aligns super well <laughs> i mean there's another just incredible moment of the score and sound and visual working all in concert is there's that when grand is at the gates mm-hmm. and it gets pulled back for to make that blow that's going to uh, crash through the gate and there's yeah. a, that incredible just roar as it mm-hmm. like crashes forward just perfectly synced to the Sauron theme there and it's just all like of score sound and visual are all just crashing forward as one it is just amazing yeah and it's imp- and and again just to get back to the the large scale small scale it's important that though that moment is bracketed mm-hmm. by Gandalf and Pippin um, yes that we have we mm-hmm. have a way it's not just big we have a way through it um and you know the score is also a way through it because by this point we understand the Sauron theme and you know can follow it through it's 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 it's, it's as apparent as visual mm-hmm. information is usually you know people talk about music as being this sort of unconscious mm-hmm. conduit to emotion but mm-hmm. I think, like, by the time we've gotten to Return of the King, an audience member who has seen, you know, um, maybe was not on, on message boards and writing fan fiction, but just has seen the mm-hmm. movies, just, you know, I'm not, you know, um, mm-hmm. calling anyone out here besides myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, only needs to hear a couple notes to sort of grab that emotional valence as quickly as seeing mm-hmm. something visually registers in your mind. Uh, it's it's truly an astonishing accomplishment that the score is able to um, be utilized almost in the way that visual tools are. Oh, absolutely. That's that's an incredible way of putting it because it, it really gets to... There are large... There have been large-scale franchise scores <laughs> before that have many themes yeah like but the clarity with which Mm short delivers these scores 
is really something. <laughs> it's uh. it, and and not to knock like I think you know William's mm-hmm. work on Star Wars, which I think is the oh, only yeah. thing that's an equal. Um, yes, is 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 equally impressive, but it's working in a very different way, mm-hmm. um, and it's use in those movies. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we can leave the, the the sequels out of it, but but in mm-hmm. in the no, Williams is the best part of sequels. We'll leave them in, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was about to say uh, there's a like, but no, let's no. continue. <laughs> Shout out to Ray's theme; it's a great theme. Mm, um, yeah, but but. But the music is working in a very different way from um, mm-hmm. how how Jackson and Shore are working. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I want to turn to a se- for a second mm-hmm. to a theme that you mentioned as a particular favorite, uh-huh. and its use in this film because I think there's some really striking moments partially because this character gets some really big moments The Shieldman mm. thing was a call out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That so was that. foreshadowing, guys. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is Eowyn's theme. Yeah. Uh, which, of course, introduced in the two towers, but really gets some moments to shine in this one. And is, I think, a very telling example of how. Shore brings these themes to their conclusion. Yeah, it's really wonderful. I mean, we can we can ignore the if if you're watching the extended editions, you get the mm-hmm. Houses of Healing and some Liv Tyler singing, which <laughs> is a thing that happened. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's not bad, uh, <laughs> but like mm-hmm. that entire sequence. There's a reason that they mm-hmm. cut it. Um, but yes, I I really. It's such a a, a plaintive, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of vulnerable theme, and is able mm-hmm. to speak for the character in a way that the character can't even articulate herself. You know, mm-hmm. um, and it's sometimes there are moments in in a movie that you you sort of switch from passive interest to you know, that Brooklyn Nine-Nine meme of I've had mm-hmm. AON for 45 seconds, but if anything happens to her, I would kill everyone in this room <laughs> and then myself. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I'm, I'm joking, but it's true. Um, and I think, mm-hmm. you know, there's uh, that moment at the the feast um, mm-hmm. where uh, Aragorn and AON are talking and, and she has this, this moment of hope that's expressed mm-hmm. both by Miranda Otto's incredibly bright eyes and also this theme. Um, mm-hmm. And and that's like a turning point for a character that we are going to need to care about in a very real way. Not just as like, oh, potential love triangle partner, but just like as a, as a person who is in sort of a similar moment of crisis who could ascend or descend um, into hopelessness mm-hmm. and despair. 
which again is 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 very Tolkien. The stakes aren't winning mm-hmm. and losing; it's hope and despair. Yeah, which I think it's very telling that um, the extended edition gives her the the famous uh, dream of Numenor. I know it's so good. That's such a good screenwriting mm-hmm. choice. Sorry, I, I really like that mm-hmm. moment um, because one mm-hmm. movie Faramir doesn't need to have that. He's got other stuff going yeah. on. It's fine. He's got daddy issues instead. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but that is such a perfect moment of this is th- that dream describes the entire stakes of the Lord of the Rings as a story, um, and to give it to Eowyn and to give her like the sensibility to have that she then becomes the the audience surrogate in a way that you know in in the books Faramir is Tolkien's insert uh, of himself don't don't quote me on that Tolkien scholars <laughs> don't, don't at me I'm right though but don't don't at me mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, and you know I um, it's it's such a beautiful passage of text too um Mm -hmm. that before before her is this great wave and behind her all is dark but she could Mm -hmm. not move she could only stand there and it's there there, there's just something something about that standing on the precipice that is so apt for not only this character but every character in this story yeah she's She's expressing what Gandalf says later. It's the deep breath before the plunge. Mm-hmm. Um, but but also then grounding it in sort of a character who isn't the wise all-knowing, <laughs> even as Gandalf expresses that. Nor one of our have goofy beyond his Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and someone who is in this position of powerlessness uh, apparent powerlessness and despair and wondering what she can do and wanting to do something which is why i think the moment when she picks up mary at the camp and you get just this incredible um And if I'm not much mistaken, I I mm-hmm. I I don't I don't hold me to this, Tolkien scholars mm-hmm. and everyone else. Um, but it's important that that comes in with the heroic horns that have been used yes. for the Fellowship theme. It cements her as a hero. Yes. Yeah. It it does, and it's like this is the moment that we that we kind of need at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. this point this because we've seen like so much like dourness and despair um and things have been falling apart for the last hour and then you get this amazing moment that the music just soars of these characters of Eowyn and then thanks to her Mary as well yeah being able to stand up and fight it's like that mo- music is almost sort of more heroic than the cue when she kills the witch king 
like it's so powerful right. and so just electric <laughs> because this mm -hmm. is again sort of i think what people mm -hmm. should take from tolkien um, yeah. and not necessarily the massive battles between mm -hmm. dark and light is that what it's it's a it's a profoundly hopeful even though it's it's a very melancholy story it's it's also profoundly hopeful because these moments of individual choice regardless of whether they're both going to die in this battle like that moment of choice and empowerment matters it matters so much um that within crises people can reach out to each other mm -hmm. and and see the power and worth that anyone has within them um mm -hmm. like it's it's such an important statement to happen and it, and most and again it mostly happens musically like you mm -hmm. you do get you know gleeful dom monahan in a helmet that's too big for him and it's adorable <laughs> um but, mo but 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 most of it's carried mm -hmm. uh through that theme it's it's amazing yeah yeah, and that, and then the subsequent charge of the Rohirrim. Oh my God! At, yes, it, those are moments where I am like a, a different director and composer mm -hmm. could have made very different choices. Absolutely. Here, like this could have been played more for suspense or danger, or like, or like tinging it more with like risk or like. They're going into battle, but, you know, this may be a difficult choice. But, no, Shore plays it for just full, again, self-actualization. Yeah. Is, I think, yeah, the right term. Which is why it was my walk-up music for exams a lot of the time. <laughs> like, I'm being very serious. <laughs> I mean, incredible choice. It is great, yeah. like, pump you up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's just a moment of like again regardless of of the stakes of this like you see how big the armies are that they're going to be charging into and like mm -hmm. I don't know how good it looks um, but the score mm -hmm. is like an embodiment of the spirit of these people um, and that spirit mm -hmm. is uh, proud and loud and moving and mm -hmm. joyous almost um, like mm -hmm. it's a, it, it's a full throated yell, that score that, mm -hmm. or that piece of music rather. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, it is just like ecstatic filmmaking. Mm -hmm. It like, really is. It's just everything coming together as this like thesis statement of this is what this is about. Even though like, if this wasn't based on a book or if you don't know the mm -hmm. story, if you yeah. haven't read the books, you might think Theoden, Eowyn, and Mary, these might be our three like expendable characters here. I they mean... seem like they might be the most expendable. Yeah, Eomer. Like, who? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Love <laughs> or you, Eomer. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. But it is like, okay, yeah, these guys might be about to <laughs> just completely beef it here because like one of my favorite editorial tricks that Jackson has been pulling throughout the film building mm. up to this is that every time you get an exciting moment of the Rohir massing and mustering, he immediately cuts to some kind of like Mordor army yep. overrunning Osgiliath yep. or marching forward. So he's just been 
building up like this is what they're about to go up against this is about what they're this is what they're about to crash into and it is so much bigger than them and like he's established at the orcs good soldiers they know what they're doing on the the battlefield they have yeah they have tactics that are reasonable they have pt boats I, I, yes. you know, like, I know we're doing a little bit of license with technology here. It's a fantasy world. Yeah. But, like, they have Higgins boats. W, what the yeah. fuck? Yeah, and, like, when the Rohirrim show up, they have procedures to do with it. It's like, okay, like, pikes in front, archers behind. Mm-hmm. We know how to handle charges. Like, this isn't anything we haven't seen before. And, like, we've literally seen them wipe out a cavalry charge earlier in this film to the man. Yep. But you don't think about that because the music mm-hmm. positions you so smartly that you don't even, th- like, it's it's a smart, mm-hmm. again, this gets to your point of this could have been played for tension, but it isn't. Mm-hmm. You know, pikes in front, archers behind. You're not, when you're watching that, you're not really mm-hmm. worried mm-hmm. Uh, because the charge is irresistible musically um Mm. and and it's played as a moment of triumph the the doubt comes Mm. later when the mumakil come in um yes giant elephants giant elephants guys yes (laughs) which um actually a sort of little interesting note there is one of the most incredible moments i think in the initial charge is when the rohirrim's own horns come in mm-hmm. and it so perfectly matches with the score yeah it is incredible and it it's again just telling you like no this is like no matter what happens next this is the sublime this is the rohirrim like doing what they were born to do. This is who they are. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitional. Then, mm-hmm. Yes. And then when the Mubicle show up and you get a brief moment of the horns before that, it's not quite as aligned. So it's telling you this is not about to work out the same way. This, this won't go as well. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Goes well for Legolas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He does fine. Most things do, but... <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah but no oh, like so good yeah like that's really a sequence that you just it's one of those sequences that it's like it's hard it's almost hard to talk about because everything works everything just works yeah <laughs> like and it works so well together every cut uh, is so beautifully timed. Um, Bernard Hill's performance mm-hmm. is incredible. Um, like that's one of the most like rousing film speeches ever. It's like, pretty good. Yeah, a little bit better than Bigos. I'll I'll give it to him. I'll give it to Bernard. Yeah. Hill. <laughs> mm-hmm. Bigos yeah. Bigos great. Um, but if you're like me, you spend a lot of time online. Whether that's for email and business purposes, for social media, or just doing research, if there's something you want to learn, you open up a lot of tabs. So, why not use those tabs to do some good? Try Tab for a Cause, a browser extension that lets you raise money for charity while doing your thing online. Whenever you open up a new tab, 
you'll see a beautiful photo and a small ad. Part of that ad money goes to a charity of your choice. Join all of us at My Big Score by signing up at tabforacause.org slash mybigscore. That's tabforacause.org slash mybigscore. We could talk about this mm. for hours, Chris. We could just talk about oh, yeah. this for hours. That's that's mm-hmm. why I was intimidated to bring this, because there's just so much here. Like, mm-hmm. we haven't talked about the lighting of the beacons. We haven't talked about Shelob. Yes. We haven't talked about... There's mm-hmm. so many parts of this, like the, the Grey Havens. Yeah. There's so many parts of this that, like, mm-hmm. it's all kind of perfect. How dare? Yeah. Well, those are the, the three things that I was like, okay, we got to talk about those three sequences <laughs> in particular. <laughs> yeah, before this ends. So let's go in order. Cool. I think. So let's start with the beacons. I'm I, I'm gesturing. I'm I'm just like gesticulating wildly with my hands because this is the most sublime sequence in the trilogy. Um and you can at me about that. I'll stand I'll stand by it. And I actually did like a shot breakdown of it <laughs> in preparation to talk to you about this because and I wanted to do it once without music and just see what the visual filmmaking is doing. And then I, mm-hmm. I watched it again with sound and score, um, mm-hmm. which I highly recommend people do. If you have like four hours to burn, um, <laughs> it's pretty cool. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's such like, it is sort of the full most, you know, we were just talking about, the Pelennor mm-hmm. Fields is as the full statement of who the Rohirrim are. And this is, in, in, in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, the full statement of the glory of Gondor. Um, and also, again, that sort of minute human choices, or in this case, hobbit choices, uh, without knowing um, if victory is certain or not. But a choice to reach out to others is the most mm-hmm. empowering thing that you can do. Uh, because it's all down to Pippin and one rope that snaps. Um, to do this aerial tour across New Zealand. And Jackson's very canny about putting things in particular quadrants to like create the most amount of depth in the frame. Um, and it's just things, CGI things catching on fire over a tour of mountains. Like it's majestic, sure, but it shouldn't have the emotional weight that it carries. And that's, you know, what the score there is doing. It is providing that sense mm-hmm. of our characters as we look at the landscape and the combination of it, of the hugeness of the space and the emotion mm-hmm. of the characters and how much we care about them and, and you know, their, their tininess in comparison. Like, we're able to hold those emotions in ourselves mm-hmm. at the same time as we watch the sequence, and it is sublime. That is the only word I have for it. Um, I, I, could, I could write a whole essay on this you know it's 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 only the the track on the soundtrack is like nine minutes because it covers mm-hmm. some of the Rohirrim stuff at the end of it and some of the the mm-hmm. you know getting to the beacon stuff at the beginning with mm-hmm. with Pippin and Gandalf but like the core of it's only like three four minutes mm-hmm. um but there's so much packed into it uh that you know mm-hmm. I, I I could I could I could go on and on about this yeah, Chris. tell me what you think it is I mean, I think it's it's similar to what we were talking about earlier with with Mount Doom, where it is this almost expressionistic, just mythic filmmaking 
where it's like at once you see the great logic of it of like oh of course this is how you get messages across vast spaces but then you can't you don't get caught up too much in the logic of it but it's like you you just you see it and you just immediately get it Mm -hmm. and you just see again it is sort of that that expression of the glory of gondor yeah as you said that it's just so powerful and so grand and it's like you don't need anything other than what you're seeing and what you're hearing you just get to be completely swept away by the emotional experience of the opera yes which again is a combination of scale it's like the big big Mm -hmm. mountains and then the tiny tiny bonfires yeah and the and also i think um like we've been so well taught like what the gondor theme is at this point that it's like it's it's not a particularly intricate theme even though there's like in this particular track there's a lot of like counterpoint going on and sort of counter melodies working in concert with it but that theme so completely grounds you in what you're seeing is you're just getting that bum bum like it's such a short phrase but it's it has such power at this point (laughs) absolutely that it is just it it's electrifying it is a thing that is such when you step back and you think about it as a storytelling thing it's such a wild gamble Mm. for the film to do Mm -hmm. you know because as it's like the film has like i mean sorry the the original book has two different methods of people being summoned to war at Gondor. It has the beacons, which are already being lit as they're going down to Minas Tirith. And then they also have the red arrow being sent to uh, the Golden Hall and Theoden. And like, you could have just done like, okay, uh, Gandalf gets a guy to bring the, to bring the red arrow to the Golden Hall or like something. No, and like you can bu- again but build it, sort of a suspense mm-hmm. of like this guy on the mm-hmm. road, see some orcs, like mm-hmm. is he going to get there? Are the Rohirrim still going to be yeah. in their ass? Like you, you could play mm-hmm. some shenaniganry like that, but mm-hmm. it, but I think you know there's a larger screenwriting t- challenge with which Jackson, um, Fran Walsh, and Philippa Boynes are more attuned to, um, and you know there's a whole other podcast about this adaptation that we could get into and what's successful and what's not, but they always do have their eyes on like it. The job is to convey the sense of, of being in one's imagination. Right. Mm -hmm. Because when you, when you show things, you physically define them. It kind of makes it smaller. This is something we talk about in audio fiction all the time Mm -hmm. is that, you know, if, if, you only, if you can't see something, then your mind can supply the best version of mm-hmm. it and kind of the most resonant version mm-hmm. of it for you personally. When you can see something, you know, you have to do, do you can convey more information, but you also have to do a little bit more work to make it resonant. Um, and that's mm-hmm. what they're always trying to do in, you know, 
the lighting of the beacons is done in, in the way that it can be the most resonant and have the most meaning as just looking at mm-hmm. Tolkien's prose on a page does. Mm-hmm. It's, it is like, again, I think, yeah, your point about the grandeur of Gondor, it's like, it's like similar to the ride up Minas Tirith, like mm-hmm. this is how you understand, oh, this is what they are fighting for, a civilization that could do this. Yeah. That was this immense yeah. and grand. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, quick sidebar, which is your favorite beacon? I'm partial to the one, the second to last one that's just over the clouds on oh its God. little hill. That's got like a itself. little curvy bit. Yes. Yeah. Man, it must mm-hmm. suck to get posted there. What, yeah. what yes. have they done? <laughs> <laughs> I want I want the workplace comedy of the two dudes who yeah. hate each other, um, who have to live up there in the mountains, um, mm-hmm. freezing cold for like six months yeah. out of the year. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Robert Eggers, get on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know that yeah. I have I I don't know that I have a favorite bring it, beacon actually. I, I kind of, mm-hmm. I, I really, just because I love the, the composition of the shot of the one that's closest mm-hmm. to Rohan, um, mm-hmm. I, 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 I'll, I'll go with that one. I like that one. Nice. Yeah. Which I also got to say, as huge and incredible as the Beacon score is, mm-hmm. the punch of the Rohan theme coming in after Theoden says, and, and Rohan, Rohan will, will answer. answer. Yeah. Is again, it's just electric. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. The score has been weaponized at this point and can be used mm-hmm. in a way that music does not usually get to be used. Like mm-hmm. it it this the the statement of the Rohan theme it is makes a punch that like mm-hmm. you know, Theoden can't um yeah. because it's got a huge amount of weight behind like mm-hmm. I, I'm just in awe of this score um, at all yeah. times and in all ways <laughs> yeah so I'm just gonna quickly shout out a very particular musical sound effect before we get to our next big sequence mm-hmm. which actually technically this comes before the beacons but I do want to make sure we touch on it uh, which is the sound from Minas Morgul when that pillar (laughs) shoots up and I remember sitting there in the theater opening night and we had this incredible movie house in Boulder there was a United Artists theater that it was like just this gigantic screen like hundreds of seats Mm -hmm. um and that noise legitimately made the theater shake like it was so, it. so yeah and a and a grand a great moment where they actually cut some score that was building up to that moment because again they're using the musical ring noise as frodo's getting lured mm-hmm. towards minas morgul yeah. and then you have this huge like crashing rend um that everyone sort of all three of Frodo, Sam, and Gollum fall over. And then you get this moment of absolute silence as the sound is just sucked out. And then that insane noise from yeah. Morgul just shoots up. And it's... Um, 
it's just like, whoa, okay, this is how you start this war. Like, you just told me everything I need to know about the scale of what is coming. Yeah, absolutely. So we just got to talk about Shelob for a we moment. We got to talk about Shelob. We have to. Yes. It's it, it's a, Yeah. It's a sound that is not quite like anything else in the film. It's mm-hmm. one of, I think, the great action cues of all time. Because, like, just from the start of it, he is telling you that even compared to other... We've been to a lot of bad places in this trilogy. But he is telling you right away, even compared to them, something here is very, very wrong. <laughs> um. I think of that 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 whole scene mm-hmm. as Peter Jackson's mm-hmm. happy place because <laughs> it's it's really where he can mm-hmm. let go and live his horror director mm-hmm. best life. Um, yes, the design for Shelob is flawless. We can spend a whole podcast on that, um, mm-hmm. and the way that Jackson is utilizing mm-hmm. lighting and and set design um, mm-hmm. to amp that up. But Shore meets him where he is. Um, mm-hmm. And, and comes up with sounds that, you're mm-hmm. right, sound completely alien, but still, you know, mm-hmm. there's no electric guitar. They're still using yeah. the musical vocabulary of the score mm-hmm. um, in order to go to an extremely weird and bad mm-hmm. place. Hello, this is Chris. I'm speaking to you now from August 2022. Sometimes in this show, we're going to pause the interview to do a deeper dive into a particular piece to get at something that, usually for time constraints, we weren't able to delve into in our conversation. In this specific case, Sarah had a hard out. So to make sure we got to the Grey Havens and got through everything, I rushed through an explanation of some important concepts, which I think will be illuminating not just for talking about Shelob's lair, but for things we'll be talking about throughout the whole show. I want to start by defining what I would call the geography of music. By this, I mean how you can tell what is happening in a story by where the melody is happening on the scale. Whether you are hearing the melody up here, down here, those two things have entirely different emotional resonances. And Howard Shore tends to have a very distinctive melodic line. He knows exactly where he wants you to concentrate in the piece. So when things shift from down to up here, or vice versa, he's creating an extremely deliberate effect. And in Shelob's lair, particularly the first sequence where Frodo is making his way through the lair, what he's doing is often tying mental and emotional states, usually more connected to Frodo, to the melody in the lower part of the scale, to more physical action, usually more tied to Shelob, in the higher section of the scale. The interplay between the two 
by the way they will come together to literally web Frodo up at specific points and how they will break apart and fight with each other is simply remarkable. This is one of the best action cues ever written. So, let's dive in. We'll set the dividing line roughly at middle C, for clarity's sake. We begin with deep, ominous chords as Frodo and Gollum arrive at the lair. This rumbling melody indicates Frodo's very clear distress and concern. He's starting to suspect Gollum has led him into a trap. And the first higher chord comes in with the first real shot of the tunnel, a chilling vertigo effect tracking zoom to emphasize that even in Middle-earth, even in this place that has all this evil and menace, something is extremely wrong here, far beyond anything Frodo has encountered before. And then the lower chords then take over as Frodo and Gollum debate, and Frodo's going back and forth, should I do this, should I not do this? And then there's this breath, this pause, as Frodo says, I can't go back. And then the higher melody comes in as Frodo enters and walks into the trap. The melody remains in the higher notes as we get a shot sequence physicalizing the tunnel for the first time, the dripping, the inky depths of it, growing more and more oppressive, building to this horrific musical shriek as Frodo first encounters the webs. And then the score just cuts off at the end of that scream. This is a technique Shore will use throughout this sequence, bringing the melody to a jagged, unexpected end rather than resolving it naturally. It's fantastically disorienting, almost just slapping you in the face. It's not really a technique he uses in other sequences in the film. Again, it emphasizes the horror of this place being unlike any other place in Middle-earth. Even when he revisits giant spiders in The Hobbit, the melodies he uses there tend to have more decisive resolutions. Here it will just stop and will give you no comfort from letting things musically resolve. And it also plays into how he physicalizes Shelob through this music, the way spiders will scuttle and then just stop, the way they'll move very fast and then pause and then attack. It's really incredible writing. So then when the music comes back in, back in the lower parts of it, Frodo has been led to Shelob's main killing floor, and he realizes Gollum has abandoned him. And then there is a brief melody in the higher part of the scale here, but what Shore is subtly hinting, and the camera moves are hinting as well, is that we're seeing Frodo through Shelob's eyes. The great spider has sighted her prey. Then uh, there's this little moment where the music is a little more grammar of the rest of the score where Frodo thinks about how he sent 
Sam away. There's a high, sad melody in the strings. It's Again, it's a little more normal. And then the music returns to the lower part of the score as Frodo first notices the bones and the webbed up creatures and starts to realize exactly where he's been led. Both melodic lines rise in parallel motion and horror as he realizes he is in a charnel house and whatever lives here is now hunting him and he flees in terror. And we briefly cut away to Sam for, again, music that's more similar to the rest of the score as he has his moment of realization that he now has evidence Gollum has betrayed Frodo. He needs to get back up there. Then when we cut back to the lair, both melodic lines, the mental lower and the physical higher, are functioning in parallel as Frodo attempts to escape. And both Frodo and Shelob are operating on pure animal instinct. Frodo's flight, Shelob's hunting, and they're both just running in parallel until the Shelob music reverses and starts going downward as Frodo stumbles and is trapped in the webs. Higher melody is going down, the lower melody is going up, and they are literally webbing Frodo in the music, trapping him. There is apparently no escape, and for the first time the melody resolves because it seems like the chase is done. Frodo has been caught. And then there's a breath of fresh air, deep in the scale, deep in the recesses of Frodo's mind. He remembers Galadriel, and he remembers the file. And we get this rumbling, deep version of the Lorien theme. It's not soothing, per se, but it is something recognizable that both he and we, the audience, can grasp onto as a life raft. There is a strength and there's a security in it. For a moment, perhaps all will be well. And then there is this jaw-dropping tremulo chord as Frodo hears something behind him and this perfectly timed slide up the scale as he and we realize the monster has been behind him the entire time. This next section as Frodo first confronts Shelob, it is just a sequence of incredible musical screams of terror and violence. There's these huge shaking held tremulo chords, abrupt stops in melody until he escapes, dropping the file. Then, as he appears to have gotten away, there's this rapid heroic sounding ba-da-dum, ba-dum, ba-da-dum, ba-dum, ba-da-dum, ba-dum, ba-da-dum, da-da melody that's more in the grammar of traditional action music that's grounding us. This is more adventure -y. This is the kind of music we're used to in this series. Clearly, this is going to be the motif that will carry us through. Frodo's found his resolve, and he's going to get out. And then it comes to a dead stop as Frodo runs right into the webs. Again, unresolved, hitting us that this is not going the way this should be going. Now, on the complete Return of the King score album, there is a, a bit more music that was written here, but was wisely cut to put the emphasis 
on Gollum singing and the noises of the slowly approaching spider. It gets vastly more chilling and it highlights how utterly trapped Frodo is at that moment by cutting off that particularly heroic melody right as it was starting to build. And then it makes the moment when Frodo begins chopping through the webs with Sting and the music comes back in even more heroic and thrilling. The chord hits are perfectly timed with Shelob's approach and the sword strikes, an incredible mix of musical determination and terror until he at last makes it out and we can breathe. Of course, then he's immediately attacked by Gollum. Music for that is good, and then we really get our breath of fresh air when Frodo has his vision of Galadriel. But now we're out of the lair back in the musical language we're more used to, we have survived Shelob. Of course, Shelob will attack later and we'll get her fight with Sam, which uses the same trick of abruptly shifting melodies and musical directions to great effect. But this first Shelob sequence is one of the peaks of Shore's achievement in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It is a stylistic leap while still feeling akin to the rest of the score. It is thrilling, it is terrifying. It is brilliant. As I said, I consider it one of the finest action cues of all time. Now let's get back to the rest of my conversation with Sarah. You cannot, like, settle down in any musical idea. He's just constantly slapping you with a new thing and keeping you on the edge of your seat. And it is just incredible. It's truly stunning, yeah. And the fact, mm -hmm. it, it, the fact that all of this is going on, mm -hmm. again, sort of the, the the score is organizing the music in a way that mirrors the story mm -hmm. exactly. So that like, mm -hmm. there are moments of like, mm -hmm. score virtuosity where it, it kind of overrides the picture, and you're paying mm -hmm. more attention. Like I'm not paying attention to the score when I'm listening to, or mm -hmm. when I'm watching that sequence, you know. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's fully integrated, um, mm -hmm. into sort of the flow of it and, and is an important part of it. Um, and gives you like, again, that sense of like, oh no, I thought this mm -hmm. was bad. This is more bad. There's more bad to mm -hmm. be had. Um, but it doesn't mm -hmm. override, um, or drive the horror of that sequence. And which is again, a, mm -hmm. a stunning accomplishment. Yeah. It's just, again, it's, I think it's, it's one of the greatest action cues that's ever been written and it and it just again it doesn't override it is perfectly in concert it is symphonic filmmaking mm -hmm. so um as uh the <laughs> fellowship did i think we now we must break up to the end yeah of we must go to the gray havens for where we all end up yeah if we're else. The, <laughs> yes um the other overriding theme of this film the the Valinor into the West music, which yeah. is just so emotional. Mm -hmm. And 
the trick that I think is most astonishing about it, you can write melancholy music. You can write things that are that sort of bittersweet music. But what is astonishing about this piece is the serenity yeah. of it. It's so peaceful. No, and you get sort of a more more intense version of it in in the Annie Lennox mm-hmm. song. Um, yeah. But but as score, you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Yeah. And like you've heard like and certainly you get a more up sort of uplifting heroic version when Sam carries Frodo up mm-hmm. the mountain, which is again an incredible just tears. Operatic just moment. crying. Yep. Yeah. But here again it's just that um, it's the sound of acceptance. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. And that is, again, so important to the story. And this is not something that I got on my first read or first watch of The Lord of the Rings. I think, you know, like all, all great stories, it, it can come back to you and, and mean different things to you at different points in your life. Um, and, you know, there's the hot take that, that it's not a hot take. It is, it is the canonical take that Sam is is the hero of the book um and he is uh but there's also something i think particularly wrapped up in that theme of the fact that frodo's heroism broke him um in a way that he will never ever be fixed until he goes into the west um Mm -hmm. and you can do something heroic and change the world and still be broken Mm -hmm. and both things are true and there's there's something you know, sort of beautiful and sad and and mm-hmm. serene about that, that I think is wrapped up in that theme mm-hmm. and, and kind of wrapped up in like white Gandalf's f- whole vibe, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and the fact that it's like very, you know, you the, the, the movie teaches you, it's a new theme. So it shows up when Gandalf and Pippin um, mm-hmm. are trapped in the siege. It shows up when Sam carries mm-hmm. Frodo. And then you get the full statement of it in the Grey Havens, um, and mm-hmm. and you cry because that's 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 what you do. Yeah, and that just think that breathtaking statement as you get that final close up of Frodo mm-hmm. is so profound. Oh, man. It's um and or him kissing Sam on the forehead in that yeah. moment. <laughs> And that, um, that smile, you know, that sort of slight mm-hmm. smile that, like, you know, he is he, mm-hmm. of, of acceptance. Because he's not okay yet, mm-hmm. but this is the first moment where he might be. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh. Uh, beautiful, beautiful, like, Elijah know... Wood. <laughs> yeah, and I know people can quibble about certain editorial choices that were made in that chunk leading up to that sequence, but you have to go there like you have to end <laughs> with <laughs> that and then Fr- sam's return to normality well, because that is really yeah. what this story is i'm just nodding i'm doing great yeah. audio guys i'm just <laughs> nodding and like being a little bit overcome because just thinking about like it's so strong when you just think about it it mm-hmm. the, the the emotional clarity of it is just there um oh it's Mm -hmm. so good it's such a good score yeah 
Well, I think I think that about covers it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like we could do I mean, three more like, podcasts on this. Like, but, we could. but also, what else can we say? It's really good. Exactly. You <laughs> yeah, it's truly. It is a monumental achievement. Yeah. Um, it's one of the best and most important scores ever written. And this has been a fantastic conversation about it. Sarah, where can our listeners find you? Oh my gosh. Chris, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. I will always be down to talk about uh, Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. and Howard Shore's score. Always. Mm-hmm. You can come talk to me about it on Twitter. I'm at Sarah Shackett. Um, you can also listen to stuff I've done. Um, go listen to season four of Wooden Overcoats. It's good for you. Um, <laughs> go listen to Unseen. Great show. Wool 359. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Zero Hours. Time Bombs. Arden. You can find me around. I'm around. <laughs> yes, and but yes, all of those shows highly recommended. Uh, except that Arden one. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> <laughs> Shakespeare or something? Seems like that's Yeah, boring. maybe. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Sounds dry. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you All so right, much for Sarah. having me, Chris, and giving me an excuse to talk about a score that I really, really love. Uh, thank you. This has been such a pleasure. My Big Score was created, hosted, and edited by Christopher Dole. All piano music performed by Christopher Dole. The main theme was composed by Eric Jorgensen. Show artwork by Chandler Candela. Our social media consultant is Ellie Warren. This series is produced in Los Angeles County on the ancestral lands of the Tongva, Tataviam, and Shumash. You can find our website at mybigscore.transistor.fm and on Twitter at, at mybigscorepod. Transcripts available on our website. Do you like this show? Do you want to help us make more of it? There are so many ways you can do that. The quickest and easiest way is to toss us a few dollars on Patreon. You'll get early access to episodes and additional bonus material. You can rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you found it. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other platforms. And if you enjoy the show, please tell anyone that you can any way that you can. The whole team would be deeply grateful. That's it for this week, folks. We'll see you in two weeks. And if we learned anything from Return of the King, it's that if you're stationed up on a tiny-ass beacon on top of a huge snowy mountain, always keep your tinder and flint dry. You never know when you might need them. Thank you, and good night. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Hello, hello, I'm Malik. I'm Jamie. And this is World Gone Wrong, where we discuss the unprecedented times we're living through. Can your manager still schedule you for night shifts after that werewolf bit you? My ex-boyfriend was replaced by an alien body snatcher, but I think I like him better now. Who is this dude showing up in everyone's old pictures? My friend says the sewer alligators are reading maps now. When did the kudzu start making that humming sound? We are just your normal millennial roommates processing our feelings about a chaotic world in front of some microphones. World Gone Wrong, a new fiction podcast from Audacious Machine Creative, creators of Unwell, a Midwestern Gothic mystery. Learn more at audaciousmachinecreative.com. 
find World Gone Wrong in all the regular places you find podcasts. I love you so much. I mean, you could like up the energy a little bit. You could up the energy. I actually don't take notes. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. (laughs) I'm just kidding. You sounded great. So did you.